This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Dirt and Sprague. Guys, this weekend ain't about freaking stocks and bonds. It's about football. It's about getting your ass up off of your lazy ass, yelling for your team, and saying, let's go, balls! Damn it! With Andy Dirt Johnson and Brendan Spray. And for the love of God, people, quit doing the freaking wave. Are you kidding me? The wave? Jesus. Nobody does the wave anymore. Yeah, the Billy Bobs do it in NASCAR at the racetrack because there's nothing else to do there except meow, 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 and watch the damn cars go in circles and wait for a wreck. Dirt and Spray on 1080. Damn it, son. Do y'all hear me? The Fan. All right, welcome back in our numero dos here on Portland Sports Leader, 1080 The Fan, the Odyssey app, and 99.5 HD2. Happy Thursday to everybody out there. Six more weeks of winter, according to uh, that Groundhog, because <laughs> it's Groundhog's Day. A little Punatoxy. Punxatawney. Punxatawney Phil. Out in Gobbler's Knob. <laughs> Still, when you say that, I'm not thinking about that. When they predict six more weeks of winter, can we just take them out back and muzzle them and then try with a new one? Just, just take them out. Sorry, Phil. Could use a new you, color cover. You chose poorly. Wow. You chose violence. <laughs> Pedo online, too. <laughs> Is that the same ground? How long do groundhogs live? I don't know. I don't know how often they... Uh... Google it. How many Puxatani Phils have there been? Because yeah. I, I read a story uh, a couple days ago. Kind of like, what are they on? Ugga the Eighth down there in Georgia or something? I think something? it's something like that. But I read a story on uh, a, a dolphin for the Marine uh, military program mm-hmm. that was trained to you know, find submarines and missiles and all that stuff. That thing is 57 years old, and it was a story about how it's a geriatric dolphin, and they're trying to revolutionize medicine to extend dolphins' lives even longer the way humans live. Like, 57 years for a dolphin. I would have never guessed. <laughs> they are cla- uh, online claims that there has only been one Puxatani Phil. So they have really long lives, huh? And they give him a elixir of life, a secret recipe every summer, and extends his life by seven years. I'm not. I'm not. Is kidding. that a real thing? This is the real article. So they've. Had if like you Google eight. how many Puxatani fills have there been, the immediate answer that pops up: one. There's been one fill. The bizarre history of the Groundhog Day. That's what they claim. That this, seems like it's almost the more interesting story than the day itself. How was that? How was that not in the movie? Well, there's only been one. No, since, I mean, they also, started doing I mean, this in like 1886. Yeah, and if you go to the official side, it says that he's never been wrong, and it's like it never rains at Austin <laughs> yeah, Stadium. Yeah, it's so. one of those things. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's dumb. Why wouldn't you just acknowledge? I'm I'm actually curious. It's like when a I, like the Georgia bulldog dog dies, they know. bring in a new bulldog. Yeah, animals die, but they just rename it. I don't like using the same name. Isn't that odd? <laughs> well, they give him well, like the husky... a, it's like a pope. You know, it's like John Paul the Fifth, John Paul oh, yeah. the Sixth, yeah. John Paul the Seventh. Right. Well, the husky up at UW was named Sun Dodger for the longest time. That's what they named him? Yeah, Sun Dodger. 
they were on six or seven there at one point, but I don't know if that's if they named con- him fake championship. If they've uh, <laughs> continued that split championship, yeah. Well, same thing. <laughs> they go hand in hand, you know. You just can't help yourself. <laughs> you have to be an a hole oh, every single time. Don't I poke you? the bear there. He always has to find a way yeah. to be a douchebag. God, Husky fan lighting up oh, our fun, text man. feed right now. No wonder Husky fan. Who else can it? I hack off this morning? <laughs> Um, I'm feeling salty. Let's. Uh, we got Chad Brown joining us, former NFL player, now media member in Denver. We're going to talk all things football with Chad Brown. I also want to ask Chad, what is his Super Bowl spread? Like, what does Chad Brown eat during the Super Bowl? Ooh, yeah, he's I've a big dude. E- I've been eating pretty good. 2013 has been a good health year for me so far, and now we're in the second month. The wife and I have decided we're going to go. We're going to a little ham during the Super Bowl. You have to. I already have out. I already got all the food picked up. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, I'm going okay. a huge spread of wings with different sauces, some honey barbecue, a little bit of like a spicy buffalo, maybe one with just a dry rub. I haven't quite decided that yet, but I got all my wings. I got all my dips. I got like a buffalo chicken dip, a queso, and a salsa, mm. multiple bags of tortilla chips. You got people coming over? No. <laughs> it's just for you just and the me wife, and, huh? Me and the wife, we're going ham, man. I don't, I, I don't watch the Super Bowl with people. I can't do it. Oh, I, I like having people over. It's the last game of the year I want to focus. I want to know what's going on. It's such an extravaganza that it's hard to take it. It's just going to sound stupid. It's hard to take it to the level of, like, it's such a show. It's not just the football game. It's the commercials. It's the halftime show. It feels like it's not a prototypical football game. No, it's 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 a made-for-TV audience kind of thing. Yeah, so, like, that's why I'm okay having people over. Conference championship games, divisional games. If my team's in it or my team's not in it, like, forget about it. Leave me alone. Yeah, the worst thing is when you get people and they, they talk during the game and get quiet during the commercials. Oh, I tell people, yo, like, like just shut up. It's a key moment. Shut up. It's third down. Leave my house. As Tony would say, it's big, Jim. It's big. Uh, the Trailblazers, who we talked about, they were written about by Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer. And he basically asks what every Blazer fan's been asking for 10 years now. Will the Blazers escape the middle with a big trade? And he points to a poll question, which I saw him post not too long ago, about asking what the Blazers should do at the deadline. And, of course, he gets almost 19,000 votes, and the vast majority say, Trey Lillard, blow it up! And I'm sure there are fans of other teams who would love to have Damian Lillard, so it's a skewed poll. But he breaks down where the Blazers sit. And I disagree with Meringue on this. We've talked about this a little bit on the pod. Uh, the Blazers are in purgatory. Yeah. Now, you can say, successful purgatory. No, there's no such thing. Well, I mean, there is. There's a certain element no. to making the playoffs and being not in the NBA. In I don't. I don't care in the NBA. Okay, all right. Well, Over half the league makes the NBA playoffs. You're not wrong. <laughs> you and I kind of we're kind of lockstep here. They're in purgatory. They're in the middle of the league. They're they're never good enough to compete, and they're never truly bad enough to to go get multiple draft picks. Right? You get a shade near. Yeah. Outside of that, it's. Make the playoffs, lose in round one or round two. I mean, we couldn't even tank right for for a half of a year last year. Fans were celebrating wins, and I never understood it. Yeah, and I I also I am one that believes like yes, last year was fun with with Ant for four games. If you lose those four games, I I think we've already done the math on this. It would have given you better odds. You could have landed Paolo Bancaro, who would have changed a lot, and that's, that's you would have better chance at doing yes. that. Yeah, that's why you tank. And so he says, what do the Blazers need need the need the most? And then he highlights and skewers Yusuf Nurkic, who's been an utter disaster, and appears to be done in his time in Portland. He's a non efficient player who plays with no heart. He's inconsistent. 
And statistically speaking, they're better with Drew Eubanks on the floor. So it makes you think they need a run-rimming big, a Mo Bamba, who I'd, I'd love to take a swing on Mo Bamba. There's been you know character issues that have been brought up with him. Kevin O'Connor says he's never won in a winning context, so we don't know what kind of player he'd be. Yeah. Portland is sub-500, so I don't know if that would change much for him. <laughs> but they need to do that. And then he, he kind of asked the question what they should do with Shaden Sharp and Amphrey Simons and, you know, where Portland is at by Kevin O'Connor is it's the article we get every year from somebody, and he's the one that wrote the most recent piece, and the deadline is just seven days away. It's a week away. Uh, I, I'm still not expecting anything big, but trying to remain optimistic that potentially it could happen. There's a lot of hurdles that they have to clear on the way there. One of it is the asking price for stars around the league. Another one is, and I, I knew that the, the first-round pick situation was going to hamper them a little bit, but it was also nice reading in that article how Neil O'Shea still has one last middle finger up at the fan base because his trade of the first-round pick that now belongs to Chicago, but it's a you know, lottery protected, whatever the hell's going on with that pick that they traded for Larry Nance, uh, it's, it's going to screw Portland unless you take protections away because they don't have the ability to trade back-to-back first-round picks right now, and that's just kind of hanging like a dark cloud over them. So they have to reach out to Chicago and make some you know, language clear on that pick if they want to be aggressive because it's going to take multiple first-round picks to land one of these trades. I I felt like, honestly, I was reading that last night. I felt like I wrote it. It it basically summed up how I feel about the team. The Nurkic stuff I thought was perfect. It was spot on. He doesn't play with heart. They go through him in the post way too often. He's not an efficient scorer. He's not an elite defender. He's not a good rebounder. Like, what are we doing here? You need to make a move there. It also raises the question that we've been highlighting since the offseason of, Is it going to work this time around because you're doing the same thing you just did with two undersized, non-elite defending guards? And I know we've done that segment a thousand times. We don't need to do it again, but I'm glad that he brings that up. And it it really ends with the note of, like, you owe it to Dame. And, And he has swayed his opinion. A lot of national media members want Damian Lillard to be traded because all they think about is New York, Chicago, and Boston. And that's all that matters to him in Los Angeles. But it's nice to hear a, a national media voice say, like, no, man, this guy wants to stay in Portland. Try and build something special around him. And and you're a, you're a big move away. But at some point, what they couldn't do under the last GM and what they need to do now is put their nuts on the table and go all in. It, it might not work. It might backfire in your face. But you owe it to Dame to at least try at some point, whether it's in the next week or this offseason. I mean, O'Connor kind of skewers Neil here, too. He, he, he says when Neil O'Shea was in charge, the Larry Nance deal that involved the Bulls, executives around the league wondered if he had any idea how protections work. Yeah, it's hang- I mean, they got to call Chicago and say, hey, we need to take the protections off or move the pick to a different year. Like, it's, it's a major headache for, for Joe Cronin. I mean, it's a problem in Joe's way, for yeah. sure. Um, and Joe trading CJ tends to lean me towards let's let this dude operate a little bit. Yeah, that's where I'm at right now. To see what he does. I would also understand the portion of Blazer fan that's been through this enough and says, I'll believe it when I see it. And there's, there is growing sentiment. It feels like as of late that Dame is starting to want Ant. And Damian Lillard knows basketball more than I'll ever know basketball. But the non-connected part of me wants to say, no, <laughs> you, you, you went through that. Why is this going to be different? Shaden Sharp can get you some pieces. Is Shaden Sharp going to net you the the wing player that's going to put you over the top with Ant and Jeremy? I mean, if it does, cool. I'll gladly be wrong on that, but... I, I just I don't know, man. I this living in the world of like this guy should be traded, not that guy. 
I think it's a grave mistake. I think literally every player but Dame should be available. Yep. Uh, they should not be offering Jeremy Grant more than $180 million this summer. I know he'll be eligible for like 200 and something. That would be stupid to do. Um, so they're sitting in a, a, a spot that's all too familiar. They're in a playoff race. They're a game and a half out of fifth. But they're also like four games out of being like the seventh worst team in the NBA. So <laughs> right in purgatory. Not good enough, not bad enough. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's what purgatory is. Yep. You're just sitting right there in the middle of it, and Kevin O'Connor wonders aloud, what should they do? Should they make a trade? And I don't think they're going to make that big trade at the deadline. That's a summertime move. But does it feel like they're going to trade Anthony Simons this summer? I would say no. So I I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's tough because watching Dame doing what he's doing right now, it's remarkable. It really is. It's all-time legendary stuff. And as a fan, I like a lot of the players. But there's only one that I'm, like, tied to in terms of, like, what it takes to win, and that's the letter O. Everything should be on the table for Joe Cronin and the Blazers. Not doing that is a horrific mistake, in my opinion. Uh, Chad Brown, former NFL player, media member in Denver, Colorado. He joins us coming up next. We're going to bump the daily ticker up, and we'll talk with Chad Brown next on the in this wide world of sports, some stories can slip through the cracks. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. This is the Daily Ticker, where Dirt and Sprague visit the insiders that are covering the stories you've heard about, and some you haven't. How'd you do that? Actually, I'm not even mad. It's amazing. The Daily Ticker with Dirt and Sprague on 1080 The Fan. All right, welcome back in. Daily Ticker time, usually 7.30. We bumped it up, though, for our good friend in Denver, Colorado, the former great, two-time first-team All-Pro in 96-98. The three-time Pro Bowl player himself. And I have his rookie card, and I'm kind of pissed oh. that he's not here so I can get it signed by him. Now, is it in hard plastic, soft plastic? It is in hard plastic. Okay. The All great right. Chad Brown. Good morning, Chad. How are we doing? I'm fantastic, fellas. Uh, right on on the rookie card. Just send that my way. I will gladly sign it for you. Oh, you're, you're, you're too kind. I'm going to definitely do that because I do want it signed. I also have one of your former teammate, Greg Lloyd. I loved you guys in that Pittsburgh run. Uh, I got to ask you, though, yesterday Tom Brady steals the headlines, says it's all about me. I'm retiring again, guys. Believe me this time. You you spent some time, very briefly, but you spent some time in New England um, what what was it about Tom Brady for you? I love hearing everybody's perspectives of Tom Brady that got to be around him and play with him. What was your viewpoint of Tom Brady that maybe set him apart from some of the other uh, teams and, and quarterbacks that you played with? Tom Brady was literally the greatest big-name teammate I've ever had, never been around. And it sounds corny, but the bottom five guys on the roster in New England turn over all the time. So almost every week there's a new guy in the locker room. And Tom would be the very first person to go up to him. And, it, again, it sounds corny. He would shake his hand and say, hey, I'm, I'm Tom Brady. You got any questions? Uh, come to me. And it was a small thing, but obviously coming to the Patriots at that time was going to be an intimidating thing. And for you to be the you know, last guy on the roster, that's even more intimidating. So for Tom Brady to come over and shake your hand and have a conversation with you and look you in the eye and tell you – to come to him if you need anything, if you've got any questions, I think that sets the tone for all those new guys in that locker room. You know, so besides the new guys, Tom also set the tone uh, in the weight room. He wasn't moving a whole lot of weight, but he certainly was working hard with a lot of sweat flying. In conditioning, we've all seen Tom run. It's not, not his greatest <laughs> skill set, but he worked really hard at it. So 
his passion for football beyond just himself, realizing that I need my teammates, I need the 53rd guy on the roster, I need all these guys to be successful uh, is what really sets him apart for me. Obviously, he's a tremendous player, and the list of accolades is so long, but his ability to connect with his teammates, to put aside you know, his stature and sit in the front row of the meeting so Bill Belichick can yell at him just like everybody else. Um, you know, I've been with some guys who were privileged. Tom purposely avoided the privilege. I love the stories of big-name athletes that still introduce themselves by their first name. Like, we don't know who they are. Like, hey, I'm Tom Brady. Like, yeah, dude, I, yeah, I, I know. I, I know who you are. Uh, I love that story. I mean, out, right. yeah, look, look, looking ahead, man, to the Super Bowl, I, I can't wait for this matchup. I know some people – I've don't. i heard some takes nationally that people are trying to poo-poo this. I think it's awesome. you got Mahomes, the new face of the league, in his third championship game in five years. you got Philadelphia, who's been, you could argue, the best team in the NFL essentially all season, and Jalen Hurts and the story there. Uh, what are the matchups? What are the stories? storylines that you're most excited about for Kansas City and Philly? Uh, I, I love the, the kind of contrasting styles. you got the, the offense of Philly. They certainly got some explosion with those receivers on the outside, but it's about the run game and Jalen Hurts and that offensive line. They want to be steady. They want to be consistent. They want to be methodical um, versus the Kansas City Chiefs. They want to pull magic out of the hat. They want Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey to do miraculous things. So we've got steady and consistent versus magical. Uh, I think the difference in this game comes down to the defensive line for the Eagles led the league in sacks, four rushers with double-digit sacks. The fifth guy on that list was Fletcher Cox, one of the best defensive tackles in the league. So they are loaded up front versus the Kansas City defense, which typically finds ways to play a little bit better in the playoffs than they have in the regular season. But that secondary for Kansas City gave up the most touchdown passes in the NFL this season. They gave up three touchdown passes to the Denver Broncos, and the Broncos could barely score more than 12 points a game. <laughs> so that's a big concern for me going against this Eagles attack because Kansas City is going to have to devote defensive resources to stopping and slowing down that run. There'll be some opportunities for Jalen Hurts to go up top against that KC secondary. Yeah, this is all pro uh, linebacker and edge rusher Chad Brown we're talking to. He is a sports radio host now in Denver on 104.3 The Fan. So he went back home, obviously played at Colorado. We'll ask you about primetime here in a minute. Um, like I, we know Brady's the goat, but let's be honest, Chad. You watch Patrick Mahomes, and you just see a dude doing it differently than we've ever seen, right? Oh, absolutely. When the ankle injury happened, um, I thought, okay, maybe he won't be able to run as he once did, but he may be the best off-platform thrower in NFL history. You know, you, you talk about quarterbacks, you know, getting their feet set in the pocket and all those kind of things. Patrick Mahomes throws off one foot, the front foot, the back foot. He jumps in the air and throws off a no feet. He throws sidearm. I don't think we've ever seen anybody like that. Now, there will be a new crop of kids right now who are 12 years old, working on their sidearms, working all that, all that stuff. So Patrick Mahomes may revolutionize the quarterback position going into the future. But as of now, I don't think we've ever seen anybody with his kind of skill set, uh, his ability to throw off of multiple platforms or no platform at all. Mm. Yeah, you've seen that a little bit from like guys like Caleb Williams at USC. It's already started to infiltrate the, the college game a little bit. Where, where are you at as a former player on the Aaron Rodgers saga? Is, is that something that you, you get annoyed with? Um, I don't know if you have any personal relationship with him, if you know him, but it seems like it's a year-in and year-out thing where Rodgers is, you know, am I retiring? Do I want to get traded? Do I want to stay in Green Bay? Uh, does that story, do you get tired of it, or, or are you interested to see where he's going to end up this offseason? 
Uh, well, he learned from the best at that, from Brett Favre. So uh, we talked about Tom Brady retiring and coming back. Brett Favre also did that a couple times as well and went to a couple teams at the end of his career. So no surprise for Aaron to learn from the best at this. Uh, as an older player, uh, you still have the passion for the game, but do you have the passion to prepare for the game? In the case of being a quarterback, it ain't just you you're trying to prepare. You're trying to prepare your rookie receivers and your young receivers. And we heard Aaron Rodgers complain about those guys multiple times this year. Well, Aaron Rodgers, you were off hosting Jeopardy and doing stuff like that instead of being in Green Bay this offseason. So unless you are willing to sacrifice your offseason and go to Green Bay and work with all these young guys, number one, you, you can't complain. But number two, that's the sign that you're supposed to hang it up. When you are unwilling to prepare at the same levels that you once prepared, then that's a sign that maybe football is done for you. Chad, I, I, I'm, I was, you know, you're massive. You were an all-pro NFL player. I never could come close to the level in which you played that sport. And I sit on my couch almost every week and watching this thing, and I get outraged <laughs> because I think of guys like you guys in the league now. How are you guys supposed to hit quarterbacks? Do you watch this sport and you see these roughing the passer penalties and you just think to yourself, what the hell do you want us to do? We finally get to the guy, and we have to think about the way we're hitting him within a, a 2 to 1.5 second mark. What do you make of what the league is doing right now to edge rushers, defensive tackles, to linebackers that are blitzing in, and the way that they're kind of treating hitting the quarterback? On one hand, I completely uh, agree with you. Uh, the To play safety in the NFL and worry about trying to break up passes with quote-unquote, defenseless receivers, and to be a quarterback uh, pass rusher and worry about hitting those guys, you're going to, at some point during the season, if your job is to break up passes or hit the quarterback, you are going to be fined. You are going to be penalized. And you're going to have your hands out like we've all seen defensive players do. Like, what are you talking about, Ralph? <laughs> um, because it's, it's to the point where it is ridiculous. And I think hopefully there'll be a little bit of a bounce back because we saw a number of really bad calls uh, – in the last couple of weeks, but at the same time, because two things can be true at once, uh, we hated watching the, uh, San Francisco's season completely just go nowhere because they didn't have a quarterback. So on one hand, we want the game to be the game. We want quarterbacks to – the quarterback must go down. He must go down hard, that whole old uh, Al Davis clip. Um, but we also want quarterbacks so the games can be competitive and compelling. And considering there are not – 32 starting-level quarterbacks in the NFL, they are going to be the most protected species on the field, unfortunately, and some of these calls are a result of that. Yeah, let, let, let's get to something that I'm, I'm sure you're fired up about. I know we are, and that is, I mean, you were at Colorado in the heyday of Colorado football, of, of the glory days of that program. He is the heyday. You man. are the yeah. heyday, and it, it feels like it's been a long time since Colorado football has been relevant, and especially since they joined the Pac-12. They had the one-off year where they made the conference championship game, but it's been a lot of down years there, so... How long has that been to, you know, how hard has that been to watch him and, or, you know, watch that program get to that point? And how excited are you to see what Dion is doing, just injecting life here in the last couple of weeks? Colorado Buffaloes haven't been part of a national football conversation in almost two decades. And now it's hard to go a single day without some kind of news or social media clip or something coming out about, about Coach Prime, as he's been requested to be called, or the Buffaloes program. Uh, yesterday was the first day of the late signing period, and uh, I think 40-plus kids, 40-plus kids 
between high school kids and transfers in have come into the program. So those players obviously are going to, you know, be the foundation for, for Dion's teams moving forward. I would imagine next year they'll probably do another 40-plus kids as well. Uh, this program is going to turn around. I believe they'll be, will be in a bowl game this year. Uh, so even if Coach Prime um, is not the long-term answer in Colorado uh, because, you know, someone from the SEC or the Big Ten offers them way more money and Colorado can't compete, or maybe it just doesn't work out all the way. At the very least, he's returned the Buffalo's program back to the national conversation. He's raised the level of recruiting. And two things that were really hampering the Buffaloes, particularly for the last five or six years, uh, in the last couple of years, really, the inability to get transfers in. Stanford and CU had some very strict transfer rules. Uh, a lot of transfers out of those programs, very few transfers in because of some of the academic standards on campus. Uh, the administration has suspended that transfer rules. So now they can bring guys in. And then they found ways to raise the salary for the head coach and also raise the salary pool for the assistant coaches. So even if Dion is only there for two or three years, he will have left the Buffaloes program in a better place than it was before. So uh, I'm excited about it, uh, even if it's only for the short term, because uh, the Buffs are now part of the conversation and now part of the football picture again. And it's been a long time coming. Uh, Chad, what is your Super Bowl meal? My producer's saying you got to go, but I got to ask you because my co-host over here, he's going to make like four sets of wings. He might do some pizza. He's got chips. He's got dip. And he's only going to be, it's just going to be him and his wife. So like, I don't even know what he's going to do with all this food. What is Chad Brown's Super Bowl, you know, feast? What do you, what do you like to eat when you watch the Super Bowl? Obviously you got to have all the, the snacks and the, the, the chips and salty nuts and all those bar snacks kind of things. But, you know, I'm going to go a little crazy here. I'm a sushi guy, man. Give me slices of some fish. Uh, elevate my Super Bowl meal a little bit. Uh, I'm down for chicken wings like, just like the next guy, but uh, it is the Super Bowl, so why not turn it up a little bit? I'm going with some uh, sashimi and sushi for my Super Bowl snacks. Chad, that is classy, man. Classy. When, when did, have you always done sushi? That's a classy take right there. I haven't, I, you don't usually hear sushi for the Super Bowl meal. Uh, you know, I have gotten onto planes for great sushi. So uh, it's been an obsession for almost 20 years now. I actually went to Japan by myself for 10 days, and uh, the food was a big part of that trip. So, uh, yeah, sushi is inbred into who I am. Oh, I love that, man. Well, look, a lot of people out here loved your time as a Seahawk. You had a great career in the NFL, great career as a Seattle Seahawk. And thank you for joining us to talk kind of all things NFL and the Super Bowl matchup. We appreciate the time, man, and we'll have to catch up. And I will be sending you the rookie card for the signature. Absolutely. I will take care of you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Have a great rest of your day. All right, there we go. Former NFL linebacker and edge rusher Chad Brown joining us. He's uh, 104.3, the fan on the Daily Ticker. It was a lot of fun, man. Played with Brady briefly, so it was great to get the inside knowledge there. And he's not wrong. I, nobody knows the longevity of Dion at Colorado. Nobody knows the level of success and what he's going to achieve there, but it, there is no doubt he has made them relevant. And they officially signed the McLean kid yesterday, the Cormani McLean, the corner. That happened, signed his letter of intent. So I, that, that's, it's, it's an exciting story for the Pac-12 because it's interesting, and interesting is good in college football. Uh, what do you want to get to coming up next? Let's do college. Let's keep going college football. You want to, okay, you yeah. want to get to the UW thing? Uh, yeah, UW and then another OC potential hire. Okay, we'll get to that. we got a couple college football notes we want to get to. Ken Barkley's going to join us at 8 a.m. Dirt and Sprague back with more. Here we go.
All right, let's get to a couple of college football notes here. Thanks again to Chad Brown for hopping on. A lot of fun to talk to him. Good news for the Pac-12 and a story we can all laugh at. Let's start with the good news, and that is that uh, yesterday it was announced, or was it yesterday, maybe Monday, uh, that Ryan Grubb, who, if you don't know who he is, he is the offensive coordinator of the Washington Huskies. He is not going to leave the school despite flying to Tuscaloosa to meet with Nick Saban about their open offensive coordinator vacancy. Bill O'Brien obviously going back to New England. I think that was music to the ears of Alabama fan. They weren't too thrilled with Bill O'Brien last year. So they're looking for a new offensive play caller. Ryan Grubb was their top candidate or one of their top candidates. And he said, nah, I'm good. Part of that is the fact that Washington, uh, back in December, and I believe we talked about this when it happened, but they increased his salary knowing that teams were going to try and come after him. Texas A&M was another one before they hired Petrino. They increased his salary to $2 million a year, which makes him one of the highest paid assistant coaches in all of college football. And this is a great, I mean, who knows how long it'll last. I'm sure he'll get a head coaching job at some point, but a really good sign, not only for the Washington program, for the Pac-12, to keep your offensive coordinator in the Northwest from going to Alabama. Uh, I, I believe they also raised it, too, because there were he was tied to some schools, like some smaller level schools, to take the head coaching gig. A lot of people yeah. think he's ready for it. I Say, hey, make $2 million here, yeah. do it for two more years, and you can go get any Power 5 job you want, probably. I'd be surprised if it was two. I, I think this is going to be it for him. I think you're going to have your big season with, you know, Penix and everybody coming back and the coaching staff working off what this season was. And I think if, if they're aiming to win the conference, get to a playoff, I think Ryan Grubb's going to be a head coach. Assuming this thing doesn't hit the side of a mountain, I, I think he's going to be a head coach next year. And so this was an incentivized way. I am surprised, though. He had a lot of success with Kalen DeBoer, uh-huh. a lot of success with his, his kind of pass attack. To turn down Nick Saban in Alabama doesn't happen very often. You know, I, some people are kind of making fun of the Huskies. They were rumored to get Jaden Rashada. They they were one of the lead teams for it, and he chose Arizona State yesterday. I think they landed, or a verbal commitment at least, they got a four-star, uh, four-star quarterback for 2024. They also had another kid kind of burn them and choose Ohio State. He's in their backyard, yeah. and he basically was like, oh, I could be a better football player if I go to Ohio State, <laughs> uh, which is an interesting comment too. But I, I don't know if we can make fun of them. To be able to keep the guy responsible for your play calling, that that to me is as big as anything. Yeah, especially with that team next year, that's huge. They'll continue to make inroads. I think on the local recruiting level, I'd imagine DeBoer is continuing to patch up some of those relationships with the bigger programs in Seattle that the program had kind of disconnected from. Um, and so you get another year to do that. Keeping Ryan Grubb with that talent and that quarterback coming back, it's huge. And to get a guy to say no thank you to Nick Saban, I mean, I saw a thought that was like, you know, uh, he probably did this because if he does another good season, he's going to be head coach. Yeah, the same would apply if he went to Alabama. Yeah, how many Alabama coordinators turn into head coaches? Literally all of them. Every single one of them. I mean, Kirby Smart, Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, Bill O'Brien. I mean, you, they you, all, yeah. They always end up becoming head. Brian Dayball. I mean, you name it. You go to Alabama. And it's the kind of repairing of the image tour, and you learn football with Nick Saban, and you become a better coach for it. So to get him to t- say thanks but no thanks to Alabama and stay in Seattle, I mean, that's that's as big as any recruit that they picked up this year. Yeah, I you know, th- I think there's a there's a big big story there, too, with the remaining teams in the Pac-10 with the announcement that USC and UCLA left. And I don't know if it's just because they're leaving and they're wondering what is our fit in the future of college football, but... 
I think you've seen this to a certain extent from programs in the Big 12. When they found out Oklahoma and Texas were bouncing, it's like, all right, we got to kind of fight for our for ourselves now. Like yeah. We're, we're kind of on our own. And you have seen major investments from places that didn't necessarily always invest in, in college football. Uh, I, Colorado was a prime example of this. We were just talking to Chad Brown about. What was the last time Colorado made an all-in move financially to go get a big-time head coach and bring interest back to the program? Their last hire was one of the worst hires in a coaching cycle that I've ever seen in my adult life. It wasn't going to work. We knew it was going to fail. Everybody knew that. Was Everybody knew it was going to backfire, and yeah. it backfired. A year and a half later, they fired him. Like, and then they go all in, and at the press conference, they say, "We don't even know how we're going to pay him, but we're going to figure it out." They made an all-in move because they realize it's important. I think you've seen this at Oregon State, and I know the funding for the finishing of the stadium happened before USC and UCLA announced that they were leaving. It's fitting timing, but they've dove in. They landed a big-time fish in the transfer portal that I know for a fact took a little bit of money to get him to come to, to Corvallis and DJ Uyunglele. Like they're invested in football, and Washington paying two million dollars for an offensive coordinator to keep him going elsewhere for a program that we've wondered, looking you know outside in, are you as invested as you should be are you spending the amount of money you need in name image and likeness like i think we've had questions about them and then here they are paying two million dollars i i don't know the number off the top of my head i can imagine there's not many coordinators in college football that are making more than two million dollars a year and it's a huge coup for them to keep him part of it is the relationship he has been with kaylin DeBoer at fresno state he was with him at eastern michigan he was with them when they were in the the sioux falls the naia program where he won like a thousand straight games so they have been working together for a long time i think the relationship was a big part of him sticking with the huskies but you know what also helps paying him two million dollars i love seeing these programs that are wondering hey what's our fit going to be in the future of college football they're invested. They're fully invested financially in, in the sport. Uh, the highest paid assistant in college football is Georgia's offensive coordinator, Ted, uh, Todd Munkin. Who might be leaving. He's he's interviewed with the Ravens. He's interviewed with a couple of different places well, but for their OC job. To, to your point, yeah. he is $2.05 million. So you're near the top. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're basically you're at the, the top. top. Just say you're at the top. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to split hairs over a half a milli here um, or $50,000. Like, you, you're you're... You're at, you're the highest paid assistant in college football. It's a, that's an unbelievable move for the Huskies. We we clowned them. We need to to be fair here. We clowned them a, about a year or a year and a half ago. Remember Jen Cohen and UW had kind of come out mm-hmm. and said, "Oh, we're not really the NIL types." And we're like, "Yo, you're making <laughs> a mistake with that statement." Yeah, you should be paying some players to get to your program if you want to turn it around. Well, Kalen DeBoer and uh, Ryan Grubb get there. And they pick the right guys to transfer in. They develop some guys. They they turn it around in one year. They're at least financially committed to this. This is a big step. Not many pro. Not many programs can do this. So, say what you want about UW and the NIL stuff and the pipeline in Seattle that they're not connected to yet, on the way that they want to be. This is a pretty big move for UW to not only pay him, but to also be a program that somebody says I want to stay here. Instead of going to Alabama, if ESPN called you, we've been working for 11 years together. You wouldn't you wouldn't stay in Portland and work with me because we came up together. You'd bounce. It's ESPN. And so I, I, I just think the kind of same example applies here. He's been with them. Sure. When Alabama calls, man, how many coaches tell Alabama thanks but no thanks? Not I mean, many. Maybe there's some that we haven't heard about over the years that just don't get reported. But in terms of ones that have gotten reported, I can't think of any. They other all one. end up going there. <laughs> that's turned down Nick Saban in Alabama, because that's as good of a of a you know skyrocketing point for your career as a head coach of anywhere. 
because of all the guys that have moved on. I just you look at the at the Pac-10 and where it's going to go after this upcoming year. I think one thing is certain: the conference will need Utah, Oregon, and Washington to remain where they're at right now. Utah has been built up, obviously, back-to-back conference championships. Uh, Oregon is back in the mix now with Lanning and Washington. Clearly, feels feels like they hired the right coach, and now you're paying this much for an offensive coordinator. You have an Oregon State program that has gone from the bottom to being relevant. You have a Colorado program that you're hoping is going from the bottom to being relevant. It just you're, you need these investments, and part of the thing I think that frustrated a lot of us as college football fans and Pac-12 fans was the animosity went to Larry Scott, but the primary reason he was still there was because the presidents didn't care. They didn't care about football. They didn't care to fire him. They didn't care that he was doing a bad job. Like They were the primary reason the Pac-12 fell behind, and now to see them invested, it's really cool. So uh, Ryan Grubb, it's a big story in the Northwest that he is sticking at Washington. We'll see how much longer he sticks around because he will be a head coach at some point. But Alabama called him. They flew him to Tuscaloosa, and he said, nope, I'm returning to Seattle. He's going to make $2 million next year to be their offensive coordinator. Let's get to another college football coaching story uh, that should make you chuckle because this one's kind of funny, and we'll talk about that coming up next on The Fam. All right, our buddy Ken Barkley coming up top of the hour. We'll talk some gambling with him. Let's get to another college football coaching story. This one was funny. So we, I think we briefly mentioned it when it happened. And that was that Miami fired Josh Gaddis last week. We thought, huh? Fired Josh Gaddis? Huh? What? Why? He was the top assistant coach in the country the year before at Michigan as their offensive coordinator when they went to the college football playoff. And many people viewed it as one of the best hires of last year's offseason. Young guy. Had a great year at Michigan. Like, this is a home run hire for Mario Cristobal. Yeah. Well, the offense, I mean, just did things didn't go well in Miami. And some of the reports out of this firing are fascinating that there was one that came out in the aftermath of it that he just straight up disappeared. Like, he just stopped showing up to work. He stopped attending, like, meetings. Like, he just he didn't want anything to do with Miami. And, and it sounded like almost to a certain extent went Constanza bodysuit guy. Like, how do I get fired from this job? Well, yeah, there's, there's kind of conflicting things with this. It's interesting. It, he might have done that. They also might have said, stop working for us. We'll allow you to go find a job. And that way we don't have to say we fire you. It's a mutual parting. <laughs> right. Where it's a mutual splitting of ways. And they allowed some time to go by. He didn't find anything to his liking. And so they got to this point where three weeks later they're like, okay, we'll make this official then. We'll see you later, buddy. So Josh Gaddis is out at Miami. And I I saw this. Uh, An OC turnover in one year. In one year, with yeah. The assi- with like the, the award-winning assistant coach in college football. And what do they call it? The Broyles Award I yeah. think, for the top assistant? Mario lost that guy in one year <laughs> so I two of the names that are showing up that I I hope that these are true because it would be hilarious either way and there are other names as well but Miami is now of course in the market for a new offensive coordinator two of the names that I've seen shown up since this happened one of which is Marcus Arroyo of Oregon fame former UNLV head coach who got fired there's a there's a growing belief that that's going to be the hire that Mario makes down in Miami the other name you know who's shown up in the last couple of days I don't I don't think this is going to happen, but it would be hilarious if it did. Scott Frost's name is starting to show up. <laughs> yeah, they're going to full circle for Oregon fans. I kind of hope Scott Frost ends up in Miami. <laughs> I think that would be hilarious. The guy flamed out in Nebraska after a couple of years. But I, I for a brief moment last week, and I need to apologize, for a brief moment last week when this Gaddis news happened, I gave him, Mario, the benefit of the doubt. Like, hey, it didn't work. Maybe he's going to revolutionize this. Maybe this is the wake-up call. Like, I got to win, and I got to win now. 
I don't know why I felt that way. I was going to say, why? I'm an idiot, and you? it looks like they might hire Marcus Arroyo or Scott Frost. If you hire Marcus Arroyo, aren't you, I mean, you are screaming to every Hurricane fan, go look at Oregon box scores, <laughs> and that's the offense you're getting. <laughs> that's the Isn't offense. Isn't it? That's what you're getting. And for Marcus Arroyo, I would understand <laughs> it. Like, if you can go to Miami. Oh, and for sure. I don't know. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I can imagine they'd have a worse season than what they just had. It improves. He had he kind of built some momentum. Say what you want about him. He was starting to build some momentum at UNLV. And then they randomly canned him and you know made their hire the way they did. This would be a nice little jump off point. You get fired from UNLV. You go straight to go Miami. Go to Miami. Man. They're a little better. Okay, this guy knows football. We'll hire him. <laughs> and Mario's back here again looking for another offensive coordinator. I I continue to be waiting for the the talent to get to Miami because you cannot refute the recruiting success he's had. Oh, for sure. They had a top 10 class this year. Like everybody thought he would, but I, I continue to, well, yeah, but I continue to look back at Oregon and I, I think you would deem Oregon a success for Mario crystal ball. Yeah. I still think you'd also deem it a bit of a disappointment given that he started with Justin Herbert and had all, you know, he had a couple years to work with him and, and build that thing up. And so like, I I'm waiting for the players to be so good that it, he doesn't matter. But he just as a coach can he gets in the way too much. He can't just go, I'm not good at this or I'm not doing the right thing. Take the keys, you're driving. Like ask yourself why in the state of Florida, why are you running a 1997 NFL offense instead of saying I'm spreading these dudes out? I got speedsters and athletes all over the state and I'm running a modern college football offense. Why? doesn't make sense he gets in his own way so i don't know if he's gonna hire if it's frost if it's royo if it's somebody else but i just i don't know if this is gonna work and i i know that's a one-year opinion and it could it could age terribly <laughs> but i i also saw it in eugene and i think you saw it a lot last year the dude just gets in his own way because he has no work-life balance he's probably a miserable human being to be around and until he you know, realizes that he's part of the problem, especially in the coaching side. I, I just find it hard to believe they're winning their conference or they're competing for a playoff spot the way Miami Hurricane fan thinks they are. Yeah, I think that's a tough part with him. Like, they are undoubtedly in the next two years, in my mind at least, going to be better than they were this year. If, now, if they're not, he's going to get fired. We'll see about that, man. But sure, I, but I, 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 don't I, know. I still look at the ACC like he is going to bring in a level of talent there that will they'll win games just on sheer talent alone. But I think where it eventually ran out in Eugene was the thought of this guy's never going to be offensive-minded enough to take you to the next level. Like, he'll bring in great talent. It'll be enough to win 9 to 10 games every year, and that's great. A lot of programs are happy with that. But at some point, there becomes a, is there anything more? Like, at some point, you get tired of that. And so for Miami, like, they hired him not to get them back to a respectable point of winning eight to nine games every year. They hired him to get back to where Miami was when he played there. Like, yes. that was the thought. That's the goal And here. so that's where I think this hang-up eventually will cost him. Like, because if they – like, they had the number seven recruiting class in the country this year. Yeah. Uh, I Again, you look at the schedule. They got A&M in non-conference. I don't know what the rest of the ACC schedule is. But, like, if they go eight and four next year, all right, you say, all right, we didn't go to a bowl game. Now we went to a bowl game. Okay, we're going 
we're going in the right direction. The next year you go, you get nine or ten wins potentially. That's fine because the ACC sucks. Outside of Florida well, State and Clemson, yeah. there's nothing in that conference. But the larger point remains: at some point, Miami fans going to say, "Okay, that's great, but we hired you to to win at the highest level." And when you're when you're this. I don't know, handicapped to a certain extent offensively, you're just not going to be able to do it. Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. Even he, 15 years ago, looked at spread offenses, no huddle, all that. He pushed back against it. He made he, a curmudgeon re- remark. Under center. we hurt these kids. Too dangerous. We need more rules in place. We shouldn't be allowed to go no huddle. Now his offense does it because he realized this is the direction of college football. This is what high school offenses are running. Mm-hmm. This is what's going to be hardest to stop for defenses. And I need to get on the train or get out of the way. And he finally got on the train, and Mario hasn't learned that lesson but you, yet. But you said something right there. You said the ACC sucks. Dirt, they're in the conference, and they suck. Oh, they were terrible this year, yeah. Like, I'm not playing this, well, you know, you got this team and that team. They're one of the bad teams. They lost to Middle Tennessee State. They didn't just lose. They got they got beat <laughs> bad. They're not good. No, they're not. And so, like, this leap to 8-4 and four and then to 10 wins, I mean, yeah, the recruiting class is great, but, man, how many recruiting classes did we see where it's like you would have thought Oregon, and, again, I think you classify it as a success, but I just would have thought a little more given the talent, especially in those last two years, mm-hmm. and they were disappointing. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't look at them and say, well, the ACC sucks. They'll be okay. They were trash, man. Drake May is back. Clemson, uh, the Klubnik kid, who appears to maybe be a better fit. Florida State's loaded. Clemson actually just hired a new offensive coordinator outside of the Clemson program. So Dabo finally I woke th- up and yeah. did what Mario needs to do. I think Dabo was like, yo, this isn't acceptable. People are right. I need to get out of you know my old thinking here. Until I see Mario acknowledge this on the field, I'm not buying that they're going to be 8-4 and four or a 10-win team in two years. They were terrible this year. That's fair. Absolutely terrible. We said add Mark Helfrich as an offensive consultant, and now you're all set to succeed. That's the missing ingredient. Bring in a Royal Scott Frost and Mark Helfrich. What if he did that? <laughs> <laughs> Who would you rather have him hire? Would you rather have uh, uh, Marcus Arroyo back, who still is one of the only people that's ever blocked me on Twitter, yeah. or Scott Frost? Do we want Scott Frost back in the mix one year later? I think I'd rather have Deion Sanders as my head coach. <laughs> well, I mean, I would, I would too. <laughs> I think I would too. Uh, if I had to choose between those two, God, I feel like I'm going to lose. Yeah, I mean, it's a lose-lose proposition. Is there a situation there that makes you feel great versus no. like one versus the other? No, no. Scott Frost isn't a great recruiter. Marcus Arroyo didn't run Justin Herbert, who was a thoroughbred. We're, we're not there yet. I think there's at least a couple more years because of the financial reasons. <laughs> yeah. What would he do if he got fired from Miami? Like, where would he go? He'd go back to Alabama. He'd go on the... The, the, the Nick Saban repair tour. Yeah, the Renaissance tour. He'll be, be offensive line coach slash offensive coordinator just yep. in title alone who's never calling plays because Nick <laughs> Saban knows he sucks at it. Run game coordinator. He'll get that label. I'll coordinate the run game. And then he'll get another job. People in life that expect better results by keep doing the same thing are hilarious to me. And for a dude that works as much as he does, which, by the way, what are you doing for 17 hours at a facility? (laughs) Clearly not breaking down offensive film. You're not doing anything. There's a certain point, right, where you're not actually getting any work done. You're just there avoiding your actual life. For a dude that works as hard as he does, 
It's remarkable to see him make no changes to his philosophies. It's nuts, man. I'm glad you brought up Dabo Sweeney there because I think he's another great example of a guy that was, he had like a ball and chain tied around his ankle and he finally freed it. He said, I can't keep promoting from within. This isn't working. Our offense has been broken the last two years and we, we need to revamp this thing. And they did this offseason. They made a big hire at offensive coordinator. Uh, Saban obviously did it many moons ago and, and got Alabama back to where they, they wanted to be. And now... We'll see what Mario can do. Josh Gaddis is out. We didn't talk about that much last week. And Marcus Arroyo and Scott Frost are two of the top candidates to be the next Miami OC. we got a lot to get to in the final hour. We'll start, though, with our good buddy Ken Barkley. Uh, talk a, a little bit of Super Bowl, but we'll have him on again next week, so not all Super Bowl. Some other gambling angles, and uh, that's what we'll start the final hour next on 1080 The